So I was talking with a listener. I was talking with a listener uh, a couple of a week ago or so. Uh, is listener uh, Andrew W. Um, and Andrew uh, is is a is a aviation enthusiast, but not a pilot. Uh, he's sort of a, he's sort of sneaking up on the edges of starting his training. So we'll get him eventually. All right, but he's got genuine interest, and he's a smart guy, um, and he flies with some friends a lot, and he's familiar with the fact that one of the things that we all religiously do during pre-check, pre-flight rather, is uh, uh, pre-check is something else altogether. I'm getting ready to travel. I'm, I'm getting ready to let myself into the warm embrace of the TSA tomorrow. Uh, pre-flight is uh, uh, we check to make sure that no water has snuck into the gas tanks. And his question was, if this is such a concern on an airplane, why do we never get water in our car's gas tanks? We do. And I, sa- and I said, I didn't know. We do? Sometimes. Yeah. What? Yeah. Mike, I, I've been driving for, oh, five or ten years, all right, and I can't recall my car ever stalling because there was water in the gas. How, what's the difference? I don't quite understand it. Um, well, there's two ways water gets in, in um, um, fuel tanks in an airplane. <clears throat> Excuse me. One is like um, um, water from outside being kind of forced into the system. Uh, through the gas caps, through the vents, things like this. Like rainwater and stuff. Like rainwater, exactly. Yep. Or you, you, you wash the airplane and you maybe get some. Ah, of course, yep. Uh, the other way is condensation. Mm-hmm. And um, here in Florida is a great example where it's, it's very humid all the time. And uh, that air through the vents gets into the tanks. Yep. Uh, you know, if it gets in when it's really warm... Sometime later on, the air will condense. Well, the air will cool, and moisture will condense out of that. Right, and it's in the it's in the gas tank. Mm-hmm. It's in the fuel. And and does the same thing happen with my car? Not to the same extent. Not to the same extent, but yes, it does. Uh huh. And and automobile fuel fuel systems today, with the anti pollution stuff and the uh, equipment to trap gases. Uh, and cycle them back into the gas tank. Uh, it's it's tough for much moisture to get in through condensation. Uh, it's, aircraft, on the other hand, you got to have both both kinds have to have vents so that when they pull fuel out, they don't the tanks don't collapse from the air pressure difference. They can't be sealed. But automotive systems. Uh, and the carburetors that have dominated for so long, uh, kind of made sure that that water got mixed up and distributed around the fuel more readily than in a uh, airplane. Okay, you've also got, you know, in some vehicles also, you might have a standpipe um, that. Uh, Generally, these days, uh, um, automobile uh, automotive fuel system uh, will have a um, fuel pump embedded in the tank, and um, maybe two or three different ways to get fuel to that pump from within the tank. A standpipe is one, um, and you know, just a direct inlet uh, onto the fuel pump itself is another. Water is heavier uh, than gasoline. It's, um, mm-hmm. um, 
and it tends to go to the bottom. So mm-hmm. if you have a standpipe um, of some kind, of some length, uh, you'll avoid uh, right. that water. Now, the flip side, if you took an older car uh, and took the gas tank out of it and looked inside what's in that gas tank, there's all kinds of crud and probably water, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, every now and then you'll hear of a, a fuel tank rusting out. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So it does happen. It's just, it, it's. It does you know, happen. But it does happen. And you've got filters also. So yeah. In, uh, um, I'm not aware of a filter. Well, Let me think that, about this for a second. An, another issue is, while well, Jeb's thinking, is that aircraft tend to have it's more than one tank. Yeah. Yeah. It, and so you have to have plumbing for all of that to get to the engine. Uh, some tanks have baffles or barriers and stuff to keep the fuel from sloshing, or sloshing around. They can trap water. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <coughs> Excuse me. can trap water unless you very aggressively shake the wings and give it time to the water to run to the uh, fuel pickup. Because, as Jeb said, water is heavier than fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, probably the most striking example of that in current production is Cessna 172 and 182. There are, if memory serves, 11 sump points on a 172 yeah. that, that you have to hit and drain. Uh, each one of those is in, a, is in a corner between a baffle and the tank wall. Mm-hmm. Or someplace there that is a low spot for that particular part of the tank where it can trap uh, water. And so when you go around, go get a checkout in a late model 172. And you can wear a callus on your on your fingers from something all the tanks <laughs> before you get the bloody thing done. Uh-huh. And they highly recommend that you stand on one wing. And this this recommendation goes back to older 172s and, and 120s and 140s. You shake the daylights out of the wing so that the fuel can get dislodged from those low points and run to the sump so that when you hit the sump valve, you're getting water out and, and not fuel while the water is still trapped behind some sure. air and baffle. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, just real quickly, just Googled um, uh, that question. And the uh, 172S, the SP, the, with the 180 uh, engine in it, uh, has 13 fuel drains. Wow. Okay. Five okay. in each wing, three below the cowling. I don't understand that at all. Three below the cowling for, for the fuel reservoir tank, then one for the fuel selector and one for the fuel strainer itself. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, my number it, it, didn't count the gas collator. Yeah. Um the the trick in the, with that with something like that is it would be almost impossible to catch all that fuel when you drain it. I know the well, 172 I used to fly, uh, and I guess a lot of 172s of that era. I guess all of them. Let me put it that way. Um, had a little handle inside the oil door, and you pull up on that that handle, a spring loaded handle, and it squirted fuel on the ground. Well, unless there's two or three of you, you're not going to catch that fuel. Mm-hmm. In, in a sampling cup. Yeah. Jeb, I, I, I've flown with you um, a, ha- a bunch of times in the debonair. Are there 
fuel sample ports underneath the tip tanks on that airplane? Yes, each tip tank has a has a drain. Okay. Has a sump drain, and then each main tank has a sump drain. Right. And then there's a, a fifth drain um, for the uh, fuel selector itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sample all of those when the, when I've got fuel and tips. Uh, right now, as it as it uh, conveniently. Uh, uh, convenient coincidence. There is a little water in my right tank. Um, I every time I fly lately, I'll catch just um, not even a teaspoon full uh, mm-hmm. of water, and I'm it's it the amount is slowly getting smaller and smaller each time I drain. Uh, but I drain it until I don't get any more water. Mm-hmm. But the next time I drain it for the next flight, there's more water in there. So. Right. Um, there's something in there, something got in there and something's in there. It's coming out slowly. Um, in the meantime, I take off on the left tank. <laughs> okay. That seems like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. doctor, it hurts when I do that. Well, yeah, don't do well, that. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. So it's different than a car. I, I, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm totally sold on the idea that you got to be careful about water in your airplane fuel tanks. That's just a no brainer if you ask me. Um, or at least it's so ingrained in our training that is, you know, not a question, but I was kind of curious about the car thing. And, uh, I suppose on the other hand though, you know, when you have an engine failure on your car, you coast to the side of the road. It's like not quite the same kind of experience. That's right. gonna... Yeah. You, you already have the main gear down and locked. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't, doesn't mean that getting off the road can't be a mm-hmm. risk to your life, but yep. Yep. The third dimension is not an element in that. Mm-hmm. Unless you run off into a ditch, of course, and then all yep. bets are off. There we go. Well, and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people I wouldn't put that past. But, yeah, uh, okay. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I was just thinking, trying to think. I, I, I'm certainly willing to be educated, but my airplane has fuel filters, but they're on the transfer pumps. Um when you pump fuel from the tips to the mains, right? That's the, when you transfer fuel from the tips to the mains. That's done via electrical pumps, uh-huh. one in each wheel well, in in my installation, and those pumps have filters on them. But I believe they are the only filter fuel filters on the airplane. I'd have to, um, I gotta think about this some more, but I really? believe they really are the only filter, fuel filters on. So the there'd airplane. be no fuel filter after the main tanks before the engine. That's well, I, I've you know one one way or another <clears throat> over time, I've been all the way through that fuel system on the airplane, mm-hmm. and there's unless there's something between the fuel selector and the engine, which is certainly possible, and which I've missed. Um, I mean, is nothing get nothing gets serviced at an annual on it? Nothing I've, I'm aware of uh, is, uh, uh, shall we say, um, um, uh, user um, user removable. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not aware of any filters other than those aftermarket pumps. Yeah. Well, so, so there you go. Well, there you go. There you go. And, uh, yeah. Well, welcome, folks, then. <laughs> you missed a great segue there. Did I really? Which one was that? Well, which, not, what, not a segue, the joke. The, but taking it off on the on the left tank. 
<laughs> okay. No, no, no. See, someone was taking a... Oh, never mind. We'll talk about this in the after show. Um, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from high atop, hot and humid, lookout point in uh, Nottingham, New Hampshire. Um, I, you see, I, I, during, well, before we started recording, I was moaning to my two friends here that uh, I cannot... I cannot complain about the heat because as bad as it is here, it's worse. Heat and humidity is worse where both of my two good friends are here. I'm here in our virtual hangar talking to uh, two of my very, very good friends. Uh, in, uh, and I, I'm, see, now I, I, it's all, I, I can't not think about it now. Who, who do I pick first? Uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What are you doing? Uh, sitting here doing a podcast. How about yourself? Yeah. So, David, I'm just moan, moan, moan. It's been over 90 degrees here for about five days in a row. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? Now you go ahead, David. Well, it's been a little warmer than that here. Yeah, and I it's know. Been How, fun it's been over 100 for five days in a row, right? Well, it's we've had more 100-degree days so far this spring and uh, summer than we had all of last year. Uh, yep. Uh, and, it's, and it's been fun communicating to my clients in uh, in Europe and, and uh, England uh, translating these temperatures into Celsius so that it gets the full shock effect when they read it. 40 degrees? Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, then that's yeah, and as you know, 40 degrees is the same in Celsius and, uh, and Fahrenheit. Oh, that's minus. No, that's minus. Minus, minus 40, 40 degrees Celsius is, is, is 100 degrees uh, uh, 4 degrees Celsius, 100 degrees Fahrenheit. That's right. That's right. So, anyways, well, you're bearing up, I guess. And uh, um, and then the old pro at Hot and Humid is uh, my other good friend here from uh, somewhere <laughs> you're near... You're talking about the weather or his personality? Sure, yeah, right. Uh, uh, from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, that's Jeb Burnside. How you doing, Jeb? Uh, what's a humid personality like? I don't know. <laughs> um. I'm fine, thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, um, I'm trying not to uh, comment on the weather. Okay. Why? Uh, because it's good or bad? Because it's cooler here than it is elsewhere. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I want to. Yeah, yeah I mean, lately the highs here have been 92, 93. Yeah. Uh, and it's humid, uh, but there's an afternoon thunderstorm, and... And uh, there's a breeze sometimes, and and uh, there's shade and uh-huh. things like this. I, uh, um, that's all I have to say. Okay. Well, yeah. So in the in the wintertime, I go to Florida for the warm, and then you're saying in the summertime, I could go for the cool. What's the weather where you are right now? It's about. Well, it's cooler today. It's like oh, high hang 80s. Hang on a second. We have this, we have this new thing. It's called right, you, Internet. Yeah, you tell me what the temperature is here in New Hampshire. Um, Epping, New Hampshire? Yeah, well, that's not where I used to be. But, yeah, it's close enough, Epping. Papa, Papa. Oh, right now it says 83. Yeah, so this is because it's cooler today. Yeah. Um, it's, it was raining this morning. and uh, yeah, But it was in the mid-90s every day for, like, the last five yeah, days. Now, now, next next Monday, it's forecast to be ninety three. Yeah, but I, I'll be in I'll be in you know, I'll be in Southern California by then, so I don't well, care. That, what, that, yeah, that what won't it does. count. So what it that's does. that's the Epping official. Mm-hmm, so Sarasota. Mm-hmm. Let's so, see, hang, hang on. One thing about the heat here is, uh, yeah. I, I've talked to a couple of uh, friends who 
are active sailplane pilots, and they've been enjoying what the heat does for their flying. Uh, I, I bet it's fun. It's fun. Jeb, what'd you find? It's 88 officially here in Sarasota. Okay, so it's warmer than here. Yeah, and life goes on. Yeah, really, really. Cheetah, let's see what the... Yeah. 77 in Wichita. Oh, it's beautiful there. David, what are you complaining about? <laughs> okay. Another uh, listener. Uh, Hi, tomorrow in Wichita is 91. There we go. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Uh, and not only do they get thunderstorms, but sometimes their thunderstorms spawn into tornadoes, which then just puts them in a whole different class altogether. Yeah, because so. there's never been any tornadoes in central southwest. Yeah, Florida. right. Okay. Yeah, we've okay. already had some of that here, too. Yeah, okay. I uh, heard from another listener, uh, Greg, uh, who uh, sent me, texted me a picture. He was uh, uh, at an airport. I believe he was in North Las Vegas. Um, I don't know if you guys are looking there. Yeah. I posted the picture. It's actually part of that first or the oh, second. Okay. That's, sure. the, that's the tech man yeah. twin. Yeah. yeah. So he saw this on the ramp and uh, took a picture and sent it to me and said, this is kind of interesting. And uh, uh, what was it? And we texted back and forth and determined what it was. And um, and it is kind of an interesting looking picture. But the thing I found most interesting it's is the track. <laughs> I then looked it up on FlightAware. All right. Uh, and found this very, very interesting-looking flight track, all right? And uh, we'll put a link to this in the show notes, but for people who are just plain listening right now, I'll describe it as saying that this aircraft took off from North Las Vegas, flew to the uh, to the uh, west a little bit, of, uh, but still looks like probably still in the Las Vegas Valley or not very far out of it, um, and then proceeded to fly north-south, north-south, like basically... I wouldn't even call it racetracks. It's very, very nearly the same track over and over again. It looks to me like somebody getting instrument training. It, that's that's a lot of instrument training. That doesn't really. All those straight lines? I mean. Uh, no, those yeah. turns at the end where he yeah. turns and then turns so they just back went, and then goes back down the line. Right. There must be one, two, three. There must be 10 or 15 times that this airplane went north-south um and as you say sometimes at the at the extreme north or south end it did some interesting maneuvering but but ultimately just got back into this rate this 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 line that just went north-south and i I was trying to imagine what what that mission might be um and i i you know training of course is a likely is a possibility but it just doesn't seem i don't know it it seemed to me more like a survey of some sort like as if they were, I don't know, taking pictures or, be, yeah. or running, you know, magnetometers. There are hills over there. I hadn't, I never really overlaid this on a on a real good map uh, to see whether or not he was over to the to the hills that are to the east of of the Las Vegas Strip there. But uh, um, I, I don't think he's I don't think he's as far west as the mountains. Yeah, it, I don't it, think if so he, either. yeah, if he is, he's not very far over them. But but you know, I mean, that all that land out there is all you know, mineral country and and oil country, and uh, you know, um, and so maybe they're doing some sort of survey for, I don't know what. Um, the, well, uh, the the registration comes up uh, registered to something called GV Air, mm-hmm. uh, and GV Air apparently has a sizable fleet because if you Google GV Air. Um, there's, uh, a Centurion, uh, um, a Navajo CR, um, well, let's see, um, yeah, GV Air has a lot of airplanes, 
I mean, a lot, like 20, 30. Does the website talk about what their business is? Are they just a charter outfit, or are they something else? TV Air Inc., Medford, Oregon. Uh, Doesn't say much. Yeah. All right. Anyways, I thought it was interesting. I think I looked up another flight track from this same aircraft, you know, like the day before or something like that. And it basically did the same thing. It it was doing this mission for multiple days. And uh, um, it's also, as you can see from the the altitude track, um, a very, very consistent height, uh, just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This this is interesting. One one piece of information I pulled up here. So GV Air Inc., is incorporated in the state of Florida as of April 19 of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a lot of airplanes for something that's been in operation a little over a year. Well, but is that, maybe they've been in business elsewhere for longer. Yeah, they just, yeah, exactly. just became exactly. a Florida corporation mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And, uh, um, very interesting. But, okay, so now we're on the track. Now, see, now we're beginning to get into some good conspiracy theory stuff here, all right? We're oh, these, s- are, this is, this is, these are spooks, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is the, oh, uh, you know, Air America or NSA or whoever it is that, you know, right? Cool. Now, I'm, okay, this is working for me now. I like yeah. it. And, I and like they it. make that airplane in a couple of special mission configurations <laughs> consistent with the you-almost-can't-see-me-in-a-hazy-day paint job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, well, there you go. Right. So, I think we figured it out. Well, we figured out something. We're not sure what. Yeah. I'm going to stick with it. Somebody's training. Yeah. Uh, What? I'm not sure. All right. I wonder how we could figure this out. I suppose I could just drop a dime and call them on the telephone and say, what the heck? Um, Yeah, we were wanting to talk about what you guys do with your business on our podcast. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Maybe I should be. I'm I'm sure that nothing would happen. (laughs) All right. So uh, one of you guys pointed us to this story about um, airspace. Um, What's it called on the list here? It's called... uh, Rural airspace. Rural airspace. So um, if I'm understanding this correctly, this has to do with um, some detail on what the ADSB restrictions are going to be once they kick in in a couple of years. Am I, am I, is that correct? That's well, correct. It's actually just given a name to the airspace that is affected. It, you know, we've been saying for years now, well, if you have to use your mode C in this airspace, you're going to have to have ADSB in this airspace. Well, what airspace is it? Well, it's Class B, it's Class C, it's... Uh, you know, just about everything but G. And it's also Class A. Yeah. And so the FAA finally decided to give it a name, Rural Airspace. Well, that's a catchy name, I know. Huh? Yeah. It, well, I, it, it, it pretty much, then you can go look at what Rural Airspace is, and you'll find the same thing. You know, we've been using two paragraphs to describe they can now get by with rural airspace and make you go look it up. Right. <laughs> now, our, our, This will be on the test. Yeah, it will, it probably will literally be on the test. Um, is this, 
is this airspace what you guys were expecting? Is this what we've been expecting all along? Because I will confess, it, it seems a little more restrictive than what I was expecting. Um, I hadn't really internalized what the ADSB restrictions were. In my head, it was always like mode C veil and a little bit more. Um, but this looks like a lot more. The uh, I think the, the some of the class E I think is is new. Um, I don't think you had to have an encoder um, to be over the Gulf of Mexico at or above three thousand feet in Minnesota, for example. Um, and uh, I'm not sure about above ten thousand feet in Um And of course, there's the mode C veil, which we all you know same right. same same deal. But um, I believe that's well. Let's let's find out. You know, again. Um, yeah. Okay, David. While while he's looking that up, um, what what's the buzz in the ultralight world about this whole thing? I mean, are they feeling like they're going to be restricted, or or do they fly in areas that are going to remain un unregulated? Put them, you know, if, if they're smart and they want to, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've seen a half a dozen ultralights over the years that had a mode C transponder. Most of them don't. Right. So, but they're still out there flying. That's because there's airspace down low enough that they don't need a transponder. Now, if you want to fly your ultralight into Wichita's main airport, you don't have to have a transponder, but you do have to call somebody ahead of time. The tower. Say. I'm, I'm, I want to come through your airspace, or I want to land at ICT. You can do that without a transponder, but you have to have prior permission. Right, but ICTs, yeah, you know, yeah. So that would be a, a that's a, a Charlie airspace, yeah. right? That would be a kind of a special case. I, I wouldn't imagine many ultralights are, are hankering to fly into there. But what about like I don't know what is it Boeing Field, the place we went to that great restaurant? All right, that's sort of out on the outskirts of the Wichita area. All right, is that within the ADSB? Restricted area? No. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's satisfying. That's good. As long as you don't get too high. Yeah. And how high could you go over Boeing Field? Oh, Boeing Field? Yeah, out there. Are you talking about Seattle? No, I'm sorry. Um, 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 not Boeing Field. Um, you want Eisenhower Field? No, no, no. David, you you and I went to the restaurant. It's right there on the edge. It's not Boeing. It's uh, it's Boeing, uh, Benton. Yeah, it might be Benton. It's 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 a uh, Stearman Field, isn't it? Yeah, Steer- Stearman Field. Stearman Field. Built Benton. Yeah, no, it's outside. Uh, it's outside the Charlie. Uh, you do have to be mindful of Jabara, uh, which has operations of just a few miles to the uh, west. Right. But yeah, I know people fly ultralights in and out of uh, okay. Stearman. Uh, but does that airspace require ADSB? No. For that kind of flying. No. Okay. All right. Well, then it's not. All right. Okay. I'm I'm feeling a little better about the whole. You thing. just can't get too high. Yeah. 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 Okay. And and I'm I'm cor- I'm staying corrected on the mode um, on the Class E airspace thing. Um, mode C is required above ten thousand in Class E airspace also. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, rule airspace, everybody. This is uh, this is the this is the terminology, and uh, in a couple more years. We all need to be very, very careful about this. Less than two years. Yeah. What is it, 18? January 1, yeah. 2020. Eight, eight, yeah, 18 so months. Yeah. Year and a half. Yeah. Okay. And uh, let me see if I can find it here. There's there's only about 100 different places that have a uh, some kind of map 
showing you what you're talking what we're talking about and I'll find one of those and link it over to link it over to you you can put it in the sh- 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 show notes yeah it's very interesting I'm guessing that the folks at home won't hear that uh, Dave, Dave's Dave's connection did a weird robot voice thing probably because of the voice over IP but oh, no, because I was of, just practicing my st- 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 stutter yeah that's right uh, but uh, hopefully the, the new system doesn't doesn't uh, uh, is much less sensitive to that kind of thing so uh, so people at home will hear uh, have heard what David said I don't think we did but that's okay there we are yeah yeah, rural airspace. Now, how do I send this to you? Oh, there it is. Paste it in there and send it to you guys. There we go. And what is it we're about to look at here? The map that shows the defined airspace for ADSB. Ah, okay. We'll we'll definitely add that link to the show notes as well. For some reason, yeah, um, the window I had open for the conference software got closed but i'm still talking to you yeah okay so hilarity may ensue here (laughs) (laughs) Ah. yeah from top to bottom you got to be ads to be equipped in class a that's above eighteen thousand. uh class e from ten thousand up uh then there's class b class c and What's that one say? Uh, oh, in parts of, over the Gulf of Mexico. Right. But that's primarily because of all the uh, oil platform helicopter traffic, that's mm-hmm. that, which was the first part of the country to really benefit from ADSB. Right, right. All right, well, moving on here. Um, and oop. Back at the ranch. Oh, now we got two jibs. We got two jibs. I don't know what to do about this. This is all right. either. Uh, you muted one of them, right, Jeb? Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, the one that's not muted, does it seem to be showing that it's caching audio with that little bar that occasionally appears? It does seem to be doing that. Okay. I'm going to close that, actually, because I'm hearing two of myself. How's this? I, I'm you still sound fine to me. I didn't. Nothing disappeared okay. on my screen just okay. yet. But I, sh- I closed that, so we're back to one. Okay. All right. Well, good. <laughs> we're back to one. Episode title right there. Assuming anybody's hearing what you're saying. Um, what's next here? Uh, let's see now. Uh, oh, one last follow up. Yeah. Um, on last episode, um, we were talking about using ForeFlight while riding on an airliner, and I had talked about the fact that I could, uh, that I was in fact just entering, you know, kind of origin and destination, um, in in um, in flight or in uh, ForeFlight rather ForeFlight, and uh, uh, and and then kind of watching my airplane traveling across the route. Um, I actually heard from ForeFlight, all right? They saw apparently my tweet, either that or they listened to the podcast, which I suppose is possible. Um, but um, it's possible they just saw my tweet, and they responded that, um, interestingly, um, you can search in ForeFlight. You can search for a, uh airline flight number, all right? And, and ForeFlight will find it and look up the actual legs of that trip and 
populate the flight course in ForeFlight with so you can so if you're traveling on airliner and you want to play follow along in ForeFlight, search for you know Southwest 123. All right, and um, and it will find it and fill it in, and you can actually see what waypoints your airliner is was was at least what the flight plan said it was going to do. Um, it, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I presume this is from the the map screen. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, from the map screen, and then there's a search box up towards the top. Right. And if you search for the flight number, presumably using the kind of code for whatever airline you're, you know, like UA or, or whatever Southwest is, or you know, it took me like two or three tries the first time I tried to do this because I wasn't guessing the the designation correctly. But once I guessed it correctly, um, it popped up, and boom, I had all of the different legs. It doesn't tell you if they filed for any particular departure or arrival. Um, but it does give you all the main um, legs of the flight, um, you know, various, uh, uh, you know, uh, intersection waypoints or, or VOR waypoints or, or whatnot. It's kind of interesting huh. um, to follow along that way. Um, so, uh, you know, yet another uh, uh, gold star for uh, for flight, uh, doing some cool stuff there. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. We were, uh, early in the episode, obviously, we were talking about how hot it is everywhere, um, and uh, I heard from another listener the other day who was commenting about the fact that he was cruising along in his 172 at about 3,500 feet, where the outside air temperature was 90 degrees Fahrenheit, um, and uh, and he just thought that was remarkable that that high, relatively high up, not terribly high, but relatively high up, it would still be that warm. Um, and he commented how, as a result of this, he was keeping an eye on his oil temperature and uh, just kind of managing the flight a little bit differently um, because of the high outside air temperature. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Is that a good practice? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, need to wa- also need to watch your mixture and recalculate your airspeeds for that density altitude because that's way above standard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and that's what he told me he did was he said he, he he brought back the RPM a little bit to you know he lowered the power a little bit, um, and also um, richened the mixture so that it would try and keep it. And he was watching his his oil temperature gauge as well. So, uh, um, but uh, I don't know. It's like so that is pretty warm. Obviously, yeah, it's way above standard for thirty five hundred. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean. Is there any rule of thumb? I mean, is is like I don't know, you know, when is that too much? When is when should you be concerned about that kind of thing? I guess I don't know. Uh, well. It it depends. Yeah. Um, some airplanes. I'm thinking of the, the um, Diamond DA twenties have a um, a temperature sensor. Uh, in the cockpit under on the main on the main spar, and if that temperature sensor is a certain color, you can't fly. Oh, really? Because the uh, the temperature, the heat, uh, affects the airframe structure. It's composite. Oh yeah, right. And um, it it takes on. Uh, I'm just going to say uncertified characteristics. Uh, if, if that's and I don't know if that's on. I don't know. I, I don't know if DA twenties are even in production anymore. Uh, but I am aware that some of them, at least, had that had that uh, colored dot on their wing spars. 
And if that dot turned a certain color, they couldn't fly until the dot changed back to the normal color mm-hmm. because it was too hot. Sure. Um, generally speaking, um, high-density altitude operations um, are um, something we should have been trained for and certainly something that we can look up in our, mm-hmm. in our mm-hmm. pilot's operating handbook or oh, sure. flying manual. Yep. Um, for performance changes. So the performance changes, the airplane thinks it's higher, and the air is less dense. Um, uh, the engine's going to be putting out less power because the air is less dense, also because the air is hot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a double whammy. Um, all the airfoils on the airplane, the wings, the tail, and the propellers especially, are um, going to act are going to work less efficiently because there's less dense air uh, that they're acting against. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, think of it in terms of, of takeoff and landing and thinking about density altitude. Um, I, I'm only now beginning to think about it in the cruise environment. Um, and uh, suddenly occurs to me that one thing, notable thing that could change in that situation is uh, your VA would be different. All right. I mean, yeah, what? Um, what's what's a VA? What's what's a VA? VA is is uh, is uh, don't go any faster than this in rough air. Okay, is that an indicated airspeed or a true airspeed or a calibrated airspeed? <laughs> Didn't we already do my uh, my flight review ground? <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, I'm sorry. No, ask the question again. I want to try and answer it's, is it's, that. It's, a, is, is VA an indicated airspeed, a calibrated airspeed, or a, a true airspeed? I don't know for certain, but I'm going to say indicated. You're absolutely correct. Um, so what's an indicated airspeed? I'm sorry, Jeb, you broke up. Say it again. Ask the question again. Okay. What's the difference between, say, uh, an indicated airspeed and a true airspeed? Uh, I don't want to play this game anymore. (laughs) Uh, uh, The difference between indicated and uh, it, uh, it, uh, uh, you know what? I can't sum it up easily. Please tell me. Um, True airspeed is indicated airspeed corrected for temperature intensity. Oh, thank you, David. Very good. Very, very good. Um, So um, what's going to happen in a high uh, temperature situation with indicated airspeed? This will... will, Yeah, I I know. This is part of your, your... I know it is. I know it is. I, 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 am not thinking clearly. I don't. I mean, it's going to change. I get that it's going to change, and I'm trying to think which way. You're going to have to have a higher true airspeed to uh, attain the same indicated airspeed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In a high density altitude situation, anything, anything that where the temperature and or the uh, the pressure is is different from standard. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's, um, let's see. If the pressure is lower than standard and you have a very high temperature, uh, your density altitude is going to be even greater. If you have a high pressure situation and the same uh, temperature, um, the um, the density altitude will be lower, but you still have the temperature thing going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if any of that makes sense. I think so. Um, I think so. The punchline is 
you approach and you um, uh, land and all your airspeeds, all your indicated airspeeds, I should say, are the same. If whether you're on the ground um, taking off landing or if you're at cruise or looking for VA, it's always an indicated airspeed you're worried about. Um, I won't say always. Those those airspeeds are indicated airspeeds. Mm-hmm. Um, the the trick is in a high density t- altitude situation, your true airspeed, your real airspeed, uh, or or speed across the ground. Um, if you want to, let's put it another way, speed across down the runway is going to be greater than uh, on a standard day. Mm-hmm. So you have to be going faster to take off, which consumes more runway. Right. Um, and your climb performance suffers, so you're even uh, going to use even more runway to get over that 50-foot tree at the end of the runway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, and I, I guess one of the reasons why, I, uh, other than the novelty of this question, um, it, I wanted to put it on the list because this is actually becoming less and less of a novel situation. Um as as temperature rise, as temperatures rise, and we seem to be just having more and more of these heat waves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's wise for myself and and other pilots to think this stuff through and make sure that you understand this. Um, certainly better than I apparently understand it right now. But uh, um, you know, well, I, I think I think it would be wise of us to uh, to realize that this is this is one of the many things that's changing our our flight environment these that's days. A very, that's a very good point. Uh, while we while we were talking about this, I found a online density altitude calculator and uh, just plugged in some some variables other than um, let me plug the right variable in ninety degrees at thirty five hundred feet, uh, presuming a standard standard pressure twenty nine point nine two, and presuming a dew point of fifty degrees Fahrenheit, the density altitude in that situation. Is 6,395 feet, almost double um, mm-hmm. the uh, the MSL altitude. Wow! So that yeah. you know, think think about that when you're thinking about performance. Think about that when you're thinking about uh, using oxygen. Really? Does that affect? Is that well? Aff- the, the the rules are written f- for MSL. Yeah. So if you're uh, if you're above twelve five MSL for more than thirty minutes, you're, the the crew is supposed to be on oxygen. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's really easy to find the density altitude of twelve thousand five hundred feet in the summertime if you're going on a cross country, say at eight or nine or, or something like that. Let's let's just play with this density altitude calculator real quick. So I plug in 8,000 feet, 90 degrees, standard day. That's 11.8. Let's try uh, 9,000. Boom. There we go. 9,000 feet on a 90-degree day, 29.92, 50-degree dew point. Your density altitude is 13,058 feet. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's above your, your oxygen altitude yeah. for for the crew. Um this this issue this has is, been a source of yeah of more than a few arguments I've witnessed and a couple I've participated in. Yeah, David, what's the nature of that argument? Well, a hot day at Augusta Municipal, three alpha uniform. Uh, 
8.30 in the morning, it's already 92 degrees. And a couple of guys are arguing that you should never lean on the ground. Oh, okay. You don't lean on the ground. Yeah, I know. I've heard this one. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Well, you do lean on the ground. If you want, if you want to get anywhere near optimal performance out of your engine, just letting it sit there run full rich while it's warming up is 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 almost guaranteed to help let up your spark plugs. So you lean a little bit to prevent that from happening. When you do the run up, you lean so you can get an optimal run up, because on an 80 plus degree day at Augusta Municipal. Density altitude can be over 4,000 feet. The field elevation is only 1,320. But density only. altitude will be about 4,200 feet. So mm-hmm. you're essentially taking off at 4,200 feet. There's no way you're going to get optimal performance out of the engine running full rich with that density altitude. Uh, or it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So you lean until you see the RPMs rise and then on a on a constant speed the rpm will come up a little bit and then the regu- the uh, governor will bring it back down to the setting on a fixed pitch prop you lean it till the rpm goes up a little bit and lean a little bit more if it starts to come down push it back in now you're ready to take off but try to take off with it full rich and 4,000 5,000 foot of density altitude your performance is going to suffer you're going to be on the ground longer mm-hmm. your climb's already going to be handicapped by the density altitude simply because the wing is flying at 4,000 or 5,000 feet. Right, right. So uh, leaning for those density altitudes, knowing those density altitude numbers, I know guys that don't calculate density altitude when they're in cruise. They'll see the outside air temperature. They're at 7,000 feet, and it's still 85 degrees, but they, they're pre-programmed to lean to a certain fuel flow. And it's too rich for the density altitude. Mm-hmm. So their fuel flow is too high. They're not making the power that they should. It's uh, not good for the engine. It's not good for the airplane. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, there's definitely a less, some lessons here. Um, there always have been lessons here, but more so as the climate changes. Well, and density altitude is a real challenge for those of us that are dense. <laughs> I don't know, David. You usually don't sound very dense to me, but okay. Uh, moving on here. Uh, we actually are starting to reach the end of our allotted time. There's one story I wanted to tell here um, about, and I, I uh, hinted at this when we were getting ready to part last episode. Um, I was in uh, Chicago uh, for a job, for the day job uh, last week, and uh, almost wasn't able to do this. And then at the last minute found a couple hours and was able to uh, hike on out and actually visit Meigs Field uh, in Chicago. Um, and uh, it was, a, it was a, a somber, kind of sobering thing. Um, I, 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 my, the job I was doing was at the, uh, at the uh, big convention center there, um, the name of which is blanking now, but uh, it's the big convention center McCormick. near... McCormick. McCormick, thank you, McCormick Place. Um, and uh, so I, that's where we were staying. And so uh, uh, mid-morning, though, my last day there, I uh, set out and um, was walking over, over, cut across the uh, highway there, uh, walked around the edge of Soldier Field, which is the big uh, football stadium, uh, and then uh, out to the uh, the causeway that takes you out to... Uh, uh, the what was originally an island and uh, is was the originally was at one time the location of Meigs Field. 
I knew as I was getting closer that there were, I could see from a distance, some uh, buildings, some structures that were left over from the airport. And in fact, as I got closer, I realized that the control tower building is still there. Hmm. Um, it's a very, very distinctive control tower building like the ones we see at GA airports everywhere. Um, obviously, it's not a control tower anymore. Um, I'm a little surprised that they haven't like chopped off the, the, the tower cab part of it. Um, but the lower parts seem to be used. The, it has, you know, three or four garage doors, presumably for, you know, various service, you know, uh, uh, vehicles back in the day. Um, and it seems to be used now as your basic storage for that kind of thing. And so I took some pictures of myself standing in front of the uh, the old tower building. Also, uh, uh, right in, sort of n- almost next to the tower building is the old uh, uh, terminal building is still there. Um, it's it's interesting as you're approaching it, you look at it and you go, well, that looks like a terminal building at a small GA airport, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, and and that's in fact what it was, um, and it's still a very active building. Um, it's been been uh, converted to uh, an, a kids' education. Um, they have all kinds of uh, youth education programs going on there. In fact, there were all sorts of day camps and things going on. There were kids everywhere, which, as I commented, I was chatting with one of the information people at the desk there, which is where I found out that this was, in fact, originally the uh, the terminal building. And uh, um, and she was you know, telling me about the different activities and programs that are going on there. And I commented to her, I said, it's, I'd really rather it was an air, airport terminal building, but if it couldn't be that, for it to be a kid's educational facility is, a, is not a bad alternate, alternate alternative. Um, the, uh, I, I tried to walk out into the area where the runway used to be, um, and I had limited time by this point and wasn't able to go very far. Um, also, they... they since since they they legendarily sent in bulldozers and carved up the runway, they've actually not only ripped out all of the pavement that once was there, but they've added all kinds of of earth and created basically rolling hills. So all of the terrain that once upon a time was the runway is now these sort of rolling hills that probably go as high as three or four stories. Um, and so uh, it's, it's, it was difficult to even find a spot where I could sort of look the length of the quote-unquote runway. Um, but but uh, um, it's, you know, it would be really difficult to turn it back into an airport, I guess, is one of my points here. Hey, um, what bulldozer, bulldozer can destroy, bulldozer can remake. Yeah, yeah. And if it was only a question of bulldozers, I'm sure we could do it without any problem. Um, but... Uh, it's, uh, well, it's it, a question of some bull something, but don't Yeah, think. right. <laughs> I know. So the, the runway is basically still there. The tower is still basically there. The terminal is still basically there. Yes and no. Um, like I said, the, 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 the ground for the runway has been, been replaced with these rolling hills, and they've also carved out a couple of little ponds. Um, also at the north end, and I, again, I was kind of comparing historical satellite pictures with current ones. Um, at the northern end of what was once the runway, they've now built a fairly uh, significant um, outdoor concert facility um, with a stage and a tent and grandstands and, and that kind of thing. So uh, there's there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. Um, and uh, I, I was really torn by the whole thing. I, I don't want to say that because I wasn't torn. It should be an airport. It absolutely should be an airport. But it's a very pleasant space, man. It was really nice out there. There were all kinds of people enjoying the area, riding bikes, and uh, and like I said, the kids in their program. And 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 if I had wanted to walk the so this tower was probably, you know, 
a third of the way down, a quarter of the way down the runway from the north end to the south. Um, so there was plenty of, of that ground that I could have kept walking if I had time. Um, and, uh, um, and, and boy, oh boy, and you guys know this because you landed there, um, the, the scenery, the, 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 the sight of the skyline is yeah. just astounding i mean and i had seen pictures and i'd flown it in flight simulator once a long time ago um but to actually stand there and look at the skyline the skyscrapers were right there and you go wow this was just it's been a really cold but sunny saturday morning facing backward in the back of a uh, b-58 baron shooting Mm -hmm. air to airs of a saab 340 uh, up and down the up and down the uh, waterfront there. Yeah. Uh, just spectacular backdrop. Yes. I know that picture, David, and it, it is a beautiful picture. Was was Meigs there at that time? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So. We, uh, flew, you each... we flew out of uh, Midway because uh, the runway at Meigs wasn't really quite long enough for the Saab. But, uh-huh. And the Saab was flying out of Midway anyway, but. Yeah, it was there. I did. I think there's a few shots where it sh- actually shows up. Mm-hmm. But yeah. nothing much was going on there that day. That was right. While they were right. still in the middle of the fight to try to keep it. Well, yeah, what year would have that have been approximately, David? Uh, 97, 98 maybe. Yeah. So, anyways... I went out and visited Meigs Field, and it was it was bittersweet. Um, it was uh, there wasn't a lot of sweet to it, but you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was like I said, it's a very pleasant park. Um, and, and if you can possibly separate the the uh, the tragedy of losing the airport, it's a very pleasant park. But well, Chicago's w- got no shortage of nice lakefront parks. Yeah, that was yeah. that was one of the bitter parts of this. Was it's not like you guys are missing out on it parks but yeah the mayor and his bride they insisted that was going to be a jewel that wasn't duplicated elsewhere on the shoreline right well you know one of the ironies is that I, so i was reading some of the uh, some of the historic signage um uh, out there and i didn't know that that you know call it an island because i guess it used to be an island is man-made um it, it, and it was um it was man-made, and it was going to be a park or something first, and then somewhere along the line they built an airport, and it was an airport for a long time. And it, it also has the uh, planetarium and, a, and a, a, some sort of museum, a science museum, no, an aquarium, that's what it is, um, that are out on the north end of the whole thing, have been there all along. Um, and uh, But the original plan, when they first created this man-made island, um, which we're talking like in the, the teens or 20s or something like that of, of the 1900s, um, it uh, the it was part of a plan to create like a half a dozen of these shoreline islands um, along the the Chicago waterfront, and uh, you know for reason you know obviously these things happen they only did the one, um, so you know what if the mayor wanted a park they could have built another one of those islands but no he wanted that <laughs> oh well. Oh, well. So I went out and paid my respects to Meigs Field and uh, got some pictures, uh, shot some video, trying to get the video done. It'll go up on my YouTube channel eventually of my little walk out and visit to to Meigs Field. Uh, Probably will not be posted by the time this gets posted, but uh, soon, sometime soon, the next week or two. Well, if you you like island airports and waterfront airports and downtown airports. Yeah. If 
you're ever in Toronto, Ontario. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Billy Bishop, Toronto City Airport. It's just a jewel. And you, you either fly in there or you take the ferry. And it may be one of the world's shortest ferry rides. But you can walk now. Oh, did they put a bridge in? They put in a tunnel. Oh, that yeah. didn't show up in the pictures. I'm pretty sure there's a tunnel now that you can walk. Um, I I'm, I think I'm thinking of the right airport here. Yeah. That, yep, uh, yep, you're right. Via the airport tunnel or the ferry ride. Yeah, yeah, there's a pedestrian tunnel now. I don't think there's a vehicle. Maybe it has emergency vehicle, service vehicles, but it's not like a public, you know, you can drive your car out there. Right. Um, the, the public walks out there yeah that would be a cool one to land at there's a bunch of these you know it's like so many towns have this and are smart enough to leave them leave them be toronto's one cleveland has a really cool one um new orleans has one new orleans mm-hmm. lakefront yeah uh trying to think of some other ones but uh yeah so anyways all right Any, anybody who played with an older well, some of the initial versions of microsoft flight simulator yeah is familiar with Meg's Field. Absolutely are, yeah. That's where the that's where the Sims the default location started. Yep. Yep. Yeah, as a matter of fact, one of the other people in my uh, in on my team um out there at this uh, project we were working on, um uh, he he actually found some time to go out there as well. Uh, uh not a pilot, but he had flown out of Meg's Field in Microsoft Flight Simulator many times and he wanted to go see what was left. So, yeah. Anyways, Remembering Meigs. Too bad. Yep. Too meanwhile, bad. Meanwhile. Yep. Uh, let's see now. Um, I'm going to jump to shout-outs here, unless you guys have something else you want to not skip over. Um, this new pilot certification rules, is is this a thing we should make sure we come back to next time? Wouldn't hurt. Yeah, it wouldn't hurt a bit. Okay. Then same let's plan with, it. Same way with the new ADSB end product. Jump back okay. to it next time. Yeah, okay. So we'll definitely cover those. Um, and, uh, yeah. Let's see now. So uh, shout-outs. Shout <laughs> you guys think about what you want your shout-outs to be, and I'm going to do a little bit of podcast business here. Uh, thank you to uh, to uh, many, a, a good number of uh, listeners who uh, who uh, uh, did as I requested and reported on the uh, on the sound quality of last last episode uh, where I was trying some new things. And apparently it mostly worked. Um, I actually am not quite done testing, so um, on this one um, you could probably give me some feedback as well uh, about the sound quality and the volumes and whatnot because I'm going to try it. I think this will be the last I think the way I do it this time is the way I'm going to settle on doing it. But I, I will be interested to hear um, if it sounds okay uh, on this particular episode. So please do that. The other bit of podcast business um, is that this, I don't know whether we're going to do another one or maybe this is the last episode before Oshkosh. Uh, and uh, regardless of whether we have more episodes before Oshkosh, uh, everyone should remember that we are going to Oshkosh. Uh, Uncontrolled Airspace will be there uh, all week long. Uh, we will be doing uh, our daily episodes uh, almost every day throughout the uh, throughout the week uh, and, and more because we'll probably start before the show officially begins and maybe even go until after it officially ends. So we'll be doing daily episodes uh, throughout the week, and then we will be ending the week with our big finish episode uh, from the uh, flight line from the announcer stand uh, where uh, we uh, just have a great old time uh, watching airplanes and talking with our friends and and just kind of uh, closing out the week at Oshkosh. So we will be there. Also, the tie-down party um, is scheduled to happen on Thursday evening of, uh, of Oshkosh week uh, over there at the uh, Super 8 Hotel. Watch uh, social
social media for updates uh, on any details. But right now, it should be as it's been for a number of years now um, over there uh, just outside the fence uh, at the uh, Super 8 and Friar Tucks uh, area of, uh, over there on that uh, uh, northwest corner of the field. Did I get that right? Yeah, northwest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you cap, and then uh, and then we will all be uh, camping um, as part of Camp Bacon. Uh, so we're going to be hanging out with that gang, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, looking forward to it. We're not going to all be able to be there all week long, which kind of s- is sad. I was going to be more graphic, but I won't uh, because listeners hate it when I talk that way. But um, it's too bad. Um, but but real life intervenes, and so uh, uh, at least some of us will be there for the entire duration, um, as well as the uh, air cav and uh, uh, the various bad boys of uncontrolled airspace will be there helping us out as well. So uh, uncontrolled airspace at uh, Oshkosh 2018. It's going to be fun. Hope we, hopefully uh, we will get a chance to meet you and see you and, and, and visit with you while we're there. What else? So, so shout outs. There's a couple on the list here. Any of them jump out at you? Which ones you want? Shout outs. Uh, I don't have either one of those, so you guys do those. Yeah, yeah. okay. I, I, I've got one, but go ahead, Jack. All right, well, I want to... I so uh, they're doing uh, a one-week wonder again this year, uh, where they, they did this about four years ago or so, uh, or ago or so, uh, where they basically built an entire uh, small airplane uh, during the week of the, uh, of the uh, event. And... Uh, um, we all got to go in and help. We got to pull a rivet and and, and uh, uh, sign the logbook and even write our name on the fuselage, although that's long gone as they painted it since then. But uh, uh, they're doing it again. Um, this time they are building a, uh, a, a Vans RV-12 IS. Is that the model number, I think? That's yeah. correct. Yeah. And uh, uh, they will uh, be building it throughout the week. So if you're there, and I, I would assume they're going to do similar kind of thing um, where people get to somehow help some way or um, participate in, in some fashion. And so we'll, we'll all get there and, and see what that is and, and, and help out. And just watching. It was fascinating to watch the process check in every day, multiple times during the day as the week progressed. So it was a fun project, and uh, it, it was uh, uh, you know real notable. Um, and then you also get to participate. Uh, participate in picking the paint job of the airplane. And uh, last time they did this, uh, they had, I believe, four different paint schemes that uh, that we all voted on. And uh, and I picked the right one. I picked the best one. Um, sadly, none of those four were actually used on the airplane um, because of the way the signatures thing worked out. It was so enamored by all these signatures on the airplane that they tried to figure out how to uh, do a paint job that incorporated the signatures, so it changed. Um, this year, let's see now. So the, if you go to EAA.com, um, there's... Well, well, hang on a sec, because this, this page on EAA, uh, it's actually a SurveyMonkey link, but yeah. uh, the, uh, it says now through July 1... Uh, and we're after July 1. So oh, I'm not is it sure. too late? It might be. I don't know if, you know, click on it and, and, well, and make I, your vo- voice heard. But, I, uh, I I clicked on it, and it reminds me that I've already taken the survey, which I have. Um, right, so so I can't get to it. Um, what happens when you click on it? That's what I'm going to find out. Hang on a second. I'm going to be surprised if they close the survey because we were able to vote during the week at Oshkosh last time. I think that's true, yeah. Okay, pick my favorite. Click done. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, it worked. Yeah. It worked, yeah. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, that that page says July 1 is the cutoff. 
Uh, well, that's odd. We should ask Charlie what's that, that's all about. But uh, go and check them out. If nothing else, look at the different ones that they and they're all designed by uh, our our good friend Craig Barnett um, or his crew, anyways, his team at Scheme Designers yeah. um, are are the authors, if you will, of these paint schemes. And uh, they're all pretty fascinating. They're all pretty beautiful. Um, some I like a lot better than others. Um, and this time, I think you voted for th- what was it? They asked you to vote for three, two, four, something like that. Um, and uh, so. Take a look at that if you're interested in seeing what the paint scheme might be and, and maybe even voting for it. Um, and if you're definitely there for the week, stop by and check out the project. Fascinating thing, building that airplane in a week. And uh, last year they didn't fly it at the end of the week, but they did taxi it by the end of the week. And uh, so that's my shout-out. Yeah. De- Jeb, you said you had something. What do you got? Yeah, uh, real quick, um, someone we all know and love, Amy Labota. Wanted to give her a shout out for being such a good sport on helping me out with my uh, with some well, with some endorsements that I needed. Let's put it that way. Um, doing some flying with her. She's a she's a great coach, uh, a good sport, uh, and uh, a pleasure to fly with. And I just wanted to, to publicly recognize her. So uh, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, I, I will I will add one one little tidbit to that story, which you didn't go into a lot of detail. But yeah. It is a compliment to Amy Laboda, all right, that on at least one of those days, and I won't go into too much detail how I know this, on at least one of those days, you turned the key on your airplane at like 7.30 in the morning. Yeah. Well, that's it's a, certainly a compliment to Amy. Um, um, it's, it's more a statement of the weather in Florida at the time. Ah, okay. You gotta, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that too. But, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah. Yeah. Jeb's flying at seven o'clock in the morning. What the heck? What, is he on fire? What, <laughs> I know. Really? You know, what's going on? Is, is there an, um, there's no such thing as an emergency takeoff, but leave it to Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, I wish I was closer. I would do, I, I, I need to do a flight review and, and a bunch of other things, and I would fly with Amy in a heartbeat and, oh, yeah. uh, um, if I was a little closer. So, uh, yeah. Hi, Amy. How you doing? David, what do you got? It's a shout-out to uh, a couple of people I've gotten acquainted with over the last couple of years. Uh, Captain Ryan Cobb, U.S. Air Force, and his lovely fiance Amanda Ayers, who are Moving on from McConnell Air Force Base in Wichita to uh, a posting at uh, uh, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Taking on a new job, the young man is, and st- sticking with the Air Force. And still flying his uh, 172, and uh, the, the rents out of, uh, I forget where he rents it out of now, Jabara, I think. Anyway, the two of them have been great friends, lovely to socialize with and uh, sit and commiserate over one of the brew pubs, uh, brews here. And uh, sorry to see him go, but understand how it's got to. And keep on flying, Ryan. And Amanda, you're next. Yeah, sounds great. One quick, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to not do this one justice because we're running out of time, but I definitely wanted to mention it. And this is a quick shout out from a listener. Um, I, I try, I've been trying to invent the idea of FBO of the month or FBO of the episode or something like that. Uh, and, uh, um, and we, we got one from a listener and now we actually got another one, uh, from, uh, listener, uh, Hillel G, uh, 
um, last initial last name initial G. Um, and he goes into quite a bit of detail here, and I'm not going to read it. I, I'm not even going to read the part I highlighted here. Let me just summarize it by saying that uh, he had a problem. Uh, he was visiting uh, Dulles for an event at uh, the Udvar Hazy uh, uh, Smithsonian uh, Museum, and uh, on taxi for departure got a flat tire. Um, which disabled his aircraft on a taxiway in a bad spot in the on the airport, and he tells uh, the the story in this posting of how, uh, first of all, the uh, the Dulles FBO, which um, Jeb and you may know more detail here. It's in here, uh, but I believe it's it's. Uh, I, I was I'm reading this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know jet aviation. Everything here. It's it's interesting that the the Dulles FBO is apparently called jet aviation. All right, so um, jet aviation is not really, as he points out in his in his thing, not an, not an FBO that really serves small airplanes like ours. Um, nevertheless, they were apparently more than helpful and friendly in uh, getting a tug and a and a some sort of trailer kind of device out there to get this airplane out of the way so they could uh, keep operating the airport and then bring it back to the to the maintenance operation where they then discovered that the uh, that with all the best of intentions this FBO didn't have the expertise or the inventory to repair his tire uh, right there and so uh, uh, Hillel got on the phone uh, and discovered um, an FBO which ironically is called Dulles Aviation but is at um, is at uh, your old stomping grounds there at uh, uh, Manassas, Manassas right. all right and uh, and and relates uh, his uh, interaction with a number of people at uh, Dulles Aviation at Manassas who were very very helpful and friendly and and uh, including the owner of the FBO apparently uh, who who not only stepped in to help figure out the problem but then on and this was apparently Father's Day weekend or Father's Day itself uh, jumped in his car in order to bring the parts that were needed to Dulles so that the jet aviation mechanics who had <coughs> stayed late. Were, could uh, install the uh, the new tires so that uh, Hillel could be on his way. Um, he goes into a lot more detail, and I'll post this someplace somewhere so that people can read it. Um, but he has, uh, and I, I'm not surprised, uh, has high praise for both Jet Aviation yeah. and Dulles Aviation at uh, respectively, respectively uh, uh, Dulles and uh, Manassas uh, for for the good work that they did. So. Uh, Thank you, Hillel, uh, for uh, for uh, telling us about this uh, 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 FBO shout-out. Yeah, this, uh, glad everything worked out. Um, yeah. It yeah. can be a little daunting to be sitting in the middle of Dallas with a broken airplane. I would imagine, yeah. Um, apparently he wasn't quite on the runway, but he was on a taxiway that was kind of causing some troubles when he couldn't move. Um, and uh, so... Uh, it, you find that go-out-of-the-way-to-help-you attitude... Uh, at more airports than not, oh, I, particularly the smaller ones. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. That's my my experience as well, the smaller ones especially, which is one of the reasons why this is such a heartwarming story that even the big FBO at the big airport um, was was very, very friendly and helpful and uh, apparently charged them little or no money for a lot of, of service. Um, he says that the tow and a couple other things were technically included in his landing fee. For, we, we were we were bashing landing fees recently. Um, well, here's an example of where a landing fee actually gets you something. Um, and the irony of this is that um, the the tow and this, some of this other stuff was included in the landing fee, which for Hillel on this particular day was waived because of the special <laughs> event exactly. at, at yeah. uh, Udvarhazi. So uh, it's a great story all around, and uh, I'll post it someplace where people can take a look. And, uh, um, you know, shout out to... 
FBO shout-out. Maybe that's what we're calling this. FBO shout-outs. So, anyways. Anything else? Fork time? Fork time. Stick it. Fork time. Thank you, guys. It's always fun to get together, uh, even on, on a hot and humid afternoon. <laughs> everywhere uh maybe it's maybe especially so in these days uh jeb burnside uh, jeb is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine jeb what have you been working on aviation safety magazine uh august issue is uh, at the printer uh should be uh on the street in a i don't know a couple of weeks 10 days um and um, kind of licking my wounds from that and uh, getting geared up for Oshkosh. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You think you're going to be able to fly this time? I'm planning to, yeah. Yeah. yeah I had to put the airplane in the shop, um, what's today? Uh, a couple of weeks ago now. Um, autopilot was not, and uh, was not autopiloting. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had to, had, we had to pull some parts out of it and send them off for overhaul, rework, whatever. Um, and uh, kind of waiting on those to come back with uh, with bated breath because uh, I don't want to have to fly to Oshkosh without an autopilot. Yeah, that would right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, anyways, yeah. that word that word we can't use. Yeah. Where can people find a, uh, <laughs> you on the internet? Um, AviationSafetyMagazine dot com. Uh, also do some work on occasion for. Uh, uh, the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association at AEA.net. Um, occasionally, uh, AINonline.com. A uh, bunch of old stuff. <coughs> excuse me, a bunch of old stuff at uh, at avweb.com and, and uh, generalaviationnews.com. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter, you are uh, Bur- Bur- Burnside J. Burnside J. There we go. And Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? You must be in a really serious crunch time now trying to get prepped to get out of town for Oshkosh. Yeah, I realized I'm down to 13 days before I need to leave, and I need to really get a leg up on the stuff that I'll have to do when I get back. So I'm kind of caught up with July stuff except for one small piece. But uh, this month's Avionics News Magazine, I got a couple of pieces that might be find some uh, utility for our listeners. Uh, one of them on handheld uh, radios and another one on electronic circuit breakers, solid-state circuit breakers. Hmm. Uh, handhelds have uh, gotten more and more capable, and electronic circuit breakers, uh, where you can use them, uh, save weight, save power, uh, and have a more flexibility than than the mechanical stuff we've been flying with for decades. So mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Where can people find out about all this stuff on the internet? Well, the avionics news you can find at aea.net. Uh, my work with uh, Avbuyer magazine, including my weekly business aviation blog, is at avbuyer.com. And otherwise, I'm real Higdon on the Twitter machine and uh, and Google me and remember that I don't play golf, and I left all my physics behind in high school. There you go. Sounds good. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, been The day job's been crazy lately. This is my busy time of year. I don't know if people are paying attention. It's been true for years. Um, so uh, I just got back from Chicago uh, where I did my Meigs thing and, and, and other things, um, and uh, uh, 
I, I leave tomorrow for, uh, for I'm going to Disneyland. Uh, I, I'm actually literally going to Disneyland. We're doing an event at the, the Disneyland Hotel in Anaheim. So that, that'll be, it's a hard job, but it's fun to go there and hang out there. So I'll be there for a, about a week. Um, I'm hoping, knock on wood, fingers crossed, there's a tiny, maybe long shot possibility that while I'm in Anaheim for the week, I might get to go flying with uh, uh, my friend Drew, um, who oh, cool. uh, famously... Oh, uh, yeah, famously bought his uh, his uh, uh, airplane without an hour's training, and uh, and then and now is flying it all over the of the West Coast. He's like building hours like crazy and uh, having a great time with his airplane. So uh, there's, there's a small possibility we're trying. He wants to desperately, but we're just trying to find a time in both of our schedules during the week, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, anyways, um, and then just keeping busy so yeah. uh, so that's me uh find me on the internet uh at uh, my uh, youtube channel is uh, youtube.com slash jack hodgson uh uh in, in a good good central location for all of my stuff is just to go to jack hodgson.com um and uh, uh there among other things you can uh, sign up for my uh, email newsletter uh which i send out from time to time with information about the things that i'm playing around with so uh watch uh, youtube for the uh, meigs field thing uh and uh, a few others that i I've got uh, sort of in the final stages of, of post-production. So uh, I think that's it. Uh, JackHodgson.com. And uh, and on Twitter, I am Jack Hodgson with no spaces or dashes or anything like that. Uh, I think that's it. David, was there something special you wanted to tell us? Live long enough to do anything by flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And we'll see you at Oshkosh. Yeah.